That was uh, different. And uh, I don't all the dance. I was kind of the camels. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. I'm going to shock you. You ready? Your Bible just falls open to Malachi, doesn't it? You know, if you have a Bible, it falls open to something. What if you're using a handheld device? What does that do? I don't know. You can tell I don't use one. Do what? <laughs> all right, turn to Luke. Oh, no. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'll tell you the first sign of the apocalypse. Are you ready? Yeah, people tell Jesus is definitely coming back. We're celebrating his first advent. We know he's coming back again. And always people say the signs, we know he's coming back. And he's definitely coming back in 1988. He's definitely coming back. Here's how you know he's definitely coming back soon. We had to cancel Christmas City Friday night, the apocalypse. So, however, it's still there. I know Rhett's family, I think, went last night. So... We're going to try to go again this Friday, but I don't know that we're going to have a bus available. So, you think you might want to meet here with me and my, even my grandchildren backed out Friday. I'm laying on a parking lot. So, but if you think you might want to go this Friday, we can meet up here in Carpool. Follow me out. They'll let me know. They'll kind of let me or Mary know after. Think you might want to go this Friday where God lives at Christmas City. That's, you might want to see where God lives. It's interesting. You think about Christmas and all the, everything that goes on, and, and I love the lights, and I love sharing with many of you over the years that, my mom's absolutely lived Christmas. She did not have a lot of joy in her life because her husband, tough, tough life, lived, loved Christmas. But I have a brother, a younger brother, who was born December 12th. My mom thought it was a, to have a son born December. I was born in January. I was at appointment. Still am. I understand. But my brother was born on December 12th, and I'm not making this up. His name is Kevin. His middle name, Noel. Why do you think his name Noel? And not Noel, it's not Noel. If you ever said Noel, my mom would slap you. It's not Noel, it's Noel, because he was my mom's first Noel. So he lived, she loved Christmas. Seven years ago, tomorrow, we had our first service, in, and God has uh, brought us out here, and it's blessed us, and I'm thrilled. It's interesting to see how God does some changes. We opened campus, didn't know. We came into the grocery store, what was gonna, how it was going to turn out, but... Uh, God has, you know, a lot of it is due to you guys, your hearts, and I appreciate it, I love you. I was uh, reading a lot of different things going on this week, and all the stuff that goes on at Christmas, and uh, I was reading about two men who live in, who lived in uh, Oregon, and they hated to go Christmas shopping, so they finally, they were neighbors, that talked to their wives, and said, you guys go shopping, and we'll just hang out to get some time to get you guys. They went sailing while their wives were out shopping, and while they're out sailing, their boat overturned, and they're in this icy water trying, they got stranded, they finally made it out, but before they got out, one of the guys turned to the other and said, we're a beach Christmas shopping. How many of you saw, and I want you to raise your hand to be honest, it's okay to admit, how many of you saw the Duck Dynasty Christmas special Wednesday night? Okay, some of you are lying, but that's all right. You need to see it. We, we, listen, we revo- our whole week revolves around a new Duck Dynasty episode. It's an old one. We've seen them all now. We've got them memorized. But the new ones, you have, to, you have to see this Christmas special. If no other reason, you have to see Jep trying to get his line down. Jep was, his, he had one, they were doing the, the Christmas story, and he, had, he was the innkeeper. He had one line. What's his line if he's the innkeeper? There's no room at the end. And he, the whole, he's throwing up. I mean, he's just spreading the entire time. What am I going to do? What am I going to do when I have to do my line? I won't spoil it, but you need to check out the Duck Dynasty Christmas special, which I'm sure will be on tonight, probably. Again, they run them like five, and it's making so much money, they run them like five. We were in Walmart yesterday, and literally, there's, there's Duck Dynasty toilet paper. I mean, it's, it, it, it's everywhere. We're walking through the cosmetic section. I spend a lot of time in the cosmetic section. 
Those of us who used to be in retail or wholesale to retail, we called it the health and beauty area. But anyway, I'm in the health and beauty area with my lovely wife, and, and I don't even remember why we were over there now, but we're walking through, and I look, and there's one, what we used to call a freestanding display in the middle of the aisle, and it's um, Willie's wife. What's her name? See, I knew you knew. I was testing you. Corey had now, had, I forgot what it was. What was it? A lip? What? Nails something other for your nails. And this was uh, Corey Robertson's Willie's wife. has got stuff at Uncle Silas. So what do you do when crazy do that? that my but I love Christmas and all the stuff that goes on around it. I was reading a story this week about, you know how y'all, it reminded me Friday, I was up here at five o'clock Friday, our daycare had their annual Christmas patch that they do. Well, when that happens, grandparents, great grandparents, everybody comes out to see their their little one on the highlight of the whole program. And they're out there in the audience waving. They got the cameras. Literally, there was not, every chair we had was out, was occupied. I got here at five. It started at five. I pulled up at five. There was no place to park. I'm sure the people at Fred's were very happy at rush hour on at Christmas. There was literally their parking lot, our parking lot. There was no, I parked back here in the dumpster. We've got an area by the dumpster where the parking lot is caved in and no one, everyone's afraid to, that's where I parked because there were literally no places and it was raining and cold, but well, you got to come out to this program. So I was, I was thinking about that and, and it's Christmas and all the stuff that goes on. I was reading a little story about you know, every little school, every little like daycare, they always do the little Christmas pageant. So this school was going to do the Christmas pageant. And this little boy wanted to be Joseph so bad. He kept going to the director saying, please, let me be Joseph. I just want to be Joseph so bad. And the director finally said, well, look, I haven't assigned the part yet. I'll assign the parts. I'll let you know. So he didn't get to be Joseph. He got the role of the innkeeper. So he had the one line. And his biggest rival at school, little boy, he just tested. He got the role of Joseph, the role that he wanted so bad. So the play, come, the night of the performance comes, and everybody's there, all the parents, all the administrators, the whole school's there, and they're to play. And the innkeeper's still mad. He fuming. He didn't get to be. So it comes to play, and, and Joseph and Mary come to the inn, and they knock the door, and the kid opens it. He's, Yes, we'd like a, a night uh, for the night. And the guy, the kid who wanted to be Joseph so bad, he, yeah, come on in. We got plenty of room. So the little kid that was picked to be Joseph, thinking on his feet, he looks in. He goes, nah, we ain't staying in this dump, Mary. We'll stay in the stable. So next Sunday night, 22nd, at Bartlett, at what time, Peter? Six o'clock next Sunday night at Bartlett, you come and stuff like that. A lot, it's a lot of fun. We do our, our family Christmas. We've been doing it for many, many years. It's a lot of fun. All right, turn to Luke chapter 1. Here's what I want to do over the next couple of weeks. You'll notice when you came in today that there was a little card in your seat about Mary's dream. And I always think about as a believer, so many people, you know, we see the keep Christ in Christmas, Jesus a reason for the season, and, and all of those things. And as, as Christians, we know that. And I think about my own family growing up and, and how much we, we talked about my mom earlier, how much we celebrated Christmas and we were really into the holiday. My dad wasn't, but my mom was and, and her family. And yet it wasn't about Jesus for us. It was just, it was a great holiday. And of course, as a kid, all I cared about was, did I get the present that I wanted? And did I get, to, you know, did I get to do something better than my brother? And I get to pile my presents up over here and laugh at him. And, and that was just being a kid. No, we never, we never talked about Jesus. We never, and we went to church. My mom took us to church. We, as a family, we didn't celebrate Christ. So many people... They just, they go through the holiday, and there is a post-holiday depression, and, and, I, and I felt it a lot growing up, and I understood it, and, and even as adults, you see it, and my encouragement to you is you read something like that, and here's what I want us to do over the next couple weeks. We're going to look at that first Christmas as it ties into Malachi, when we get back to Malachi, as it ties into Malachi, and see what God was doing in history at that special moment, the most important moment in history, 
moments. When Christ came, and then when he died, rose again, ascended to the Father, and then the next moment, he's coming back one day. And we're between those advents. We celebrate the first advent. We know the second advent is going to occur. He's going to come back. And as we look at the end of Malachi, at the end of this month to go back, and we wrap up the book of Malachi, we're going to see the second advent. So what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is look again at that first advent from the mindset of us as Christians to see, number one, how special that moment was when Christ came, but also to understand how special it is in our lives right now that we understand why Jesus came. We understand what God was doing. We know the truth, and what does truth do? It's set free. We don't have to worry about the bondage of sin because Jesus came. We're born again. We understand that absent from the body, is present with the Lord, and the grave has no victory, death has no sting in our lives as Christians, that the day we die is the best day of our life, according our lives, according to the Word of God. We go, we go home, we go to paradise, we go to be with Jesus, and he welcomes us, he loves us, he died for us. So at Christmas, we don't just celebrate and love the holiday, and we do, but we also have the opportunity not just Christmas, but throughout the year to share the Christ of Christmas, who he really is. Who is this Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth? Who is he? He is God with us, Emmanuel. And as we sing the Christmas carols, think about joy to the world, that literally we have joy in our heart. We're at peace on earth because Jesus came. That's the only reason. So when you get to Luke, we understand we're proclaiming at Christmas salvation. The promised one has come. Remember back in Malachi, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at God's promise of sending the messenger and then the promise to send the messenger of the covenant and that that promise was two people. One was John the Baptist and the messenger of the covenant was Jesus the Christ. What we're going to do starting today is look at the birth of John the Baptist as the one promised in Malachi that we saw last week. 400 years later, 400 years later, God fulfills that promise. There's a lot to be said about that, but one of the things that's most important for us as Christians to take away and share with our world and to encourage each other with, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. It may be 400 years, but he keeps it. It's important for us to live that, share that, understand that's who we are. God's promised me that he will never leave me nor forsake me. So in the moment what you are going through or what I might be going through, God is there with me in the moment. Does not promise to take pain away. Pain is part of the human existence. What he promises is to be there in the middle of it and then to use it for our good, Romans 8:28. So Christmas for us is the opportunity to proclaim to our world the promised one has come, the Messiah, the Christ, the messenger of the covenant, savior of mankind. He's our only hope. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son given. He is the son of God. So in Malachi, God promised to remember. He promised to spare. We were looking at last week. Promise member. He promised spare. Promise to show mercy. Christmas, he keeps the promise. Someone has said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. That's what Christmas is, is that we understand it. 
We know it, and now we want to share it. Live Christmas. So let's look at the birth of John the Baptist in light of Malachi 400 years later, known as the silent years. And when you get to Luke chapter 1, 400 years after Malachi, it is a dark time for the nation of Israel. They've not heard a prophetic word from God for 400 years. Their spiritual leadership are, is corrupt. They live only by tradition, and, they, and they, they keep the people under their thumb. God is nowhere in, even though they give lip service to it, what they do. Jesus said over and over, do not be like the Pharisees, not be like them. They were the religious leaders. Traditions, all that mattered to them, God had been lost. Their king, Herod, was a cruel tyrant who called himself king of Jews. That was title, self-proclaimed. And they were under the thumb of Rome, ruled by pagans. So you get the context of the Bible in Luke chapter 1. The sovereign God, the Lord of hosts in Malachi, is going to point out he is in control of history. Despite the fact it's been 400, despite Herod, despite Rome, despite the Pharisees, God is in control. What you're going to see in the birth of John the Baptist is God takes two humble, ordinary men ordained by God for this moment in time. God is at work. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to come back to the beginning. I want you to look at Luke chapter 1, verse 27. Gabriel is sent to Galilee, to Nazareth, and he said, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a, man, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, verse 35. And the angel Gabriel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Child is born, a son is given. Now indeed, Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. Your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And notice verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. The message of the birth of John the Baptist. Two miracle births. Notice the top of your outline. We've talked about it for weeks now. The words of Jesus Christ. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Promise messenger of Malachi is John the Baptist. He is coming to prepare the way for the Lord. All right, turn back to Luke chapter 1 to the beginning in verse 1. I want you to see the context of the book and why Luke is writing. Verse 1, Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, is what he's saying. A lot of people have been writing about what's going on. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, to me, Luke, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. Don't miss that word, extremely important. An orderly account. Most excellent Theophilus, you may know the certainty, verse 4 is very important, but you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. For those of you with a certain background and understanding, the word instructed there in Greek is the word, we get our English word catechism from that. And if you grew up in a certain religious structure, you understand what a catechism was, where you learned the basics, you're trained in the basics of your faith. That's where the word comes from, right there, catechism. So here's what Luke is doing. He said, I'm going to set about to write an orderly account. In other words, I'm not just going to, for example, if you read the Gospel of John, it's not written necessarily in chronological order. Luke is intentionally saying, I want to write an orderly account, an historical account, so you'll have it together. John was this flaming evangelist who just wanted to scream out to the world, Jesus is God. And if you want to know God, you have to know him. And then he goes about to do that. What Luke is trying to do is say, let me put it together for you in an orderly way. Two things he's trying to accomplish. In verse 4, you see them. Number one, to prove that what you believe is the truth. How many times do we talk about that? 
that what you believe about this Jesus of Nazareth is the truth, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that only he can redeem, that when he says things like, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, I am the door to the sheep, I am, before Abraham was, I am. When he says things like, I'm God, Luke says, I want to write you an account and prove so you'll know that that's the truth. And then that proved based on the evidence, secondly, that your faith is based on something that is solid. Because let's be honest, even today, maybe more especially, despite the fact we are so far advanced so many ways, consider ourselves intellectually so astute, most people culturally look at those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ and they consider us ignorant, less than rational, that they don't think faith in Christ alone Makes sense. If you want to have faith, that's fine, but we're rational people. We don't need that. And here's what one of the things Luke is pointing out and wanting to, to do is to say to Theophilus, and by the way, verses 1 through 4 of Luke are a prologue to not only the book of, book of Luke, but also the book of Acts wrote. Luke also wrote of Acts. So he's writing to Theophilus to say, all right, I began it in Luke, and then you read Acts, continuing the history of the early church. So what he's trying to do is prove that it's the truth and prove that when you exercise faith in Christ, that it's based on evidence, not a blind leap in the dark, but that on something proven itself to be trustworthy or true. So here's how he goes about doing it. He uses eyewitness accounts, he does a lot of research, and he has all kinds of sources to write a careful, detailed, orderly, historical account about Jesus Christ. Just a, just a, a little aside about Luke. Luke is a doctor, a trained physician. He is a Gentile. He's an intellectual. It's really interesting. Now, look at verse 5. This Luke, who is a doctor, who's doing this careful research, who is trained, an intellectual, a Gentile, not a Jew, he begins this orderly, historical account to prove he begins, and he's a physician, he begins it with a story of two miracle births. The birth to a virgin, Mary, and the birth to a lady too old to have children, who is barren. So clearly he considered these things to be factual, not fables that Jesus was born of a virgin and that John the Baptist was born to a woman who was bare, had all had been bearing her entire life, never had children, and was too old at the point to have children like Abraham, like Sarah, that example. So he begins this orderly historical account with two miracle births. So I want us to begin this account with the birth of John the Baptist with Zacharias' prayer. So look at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. We want to begin with Zacharias' prayer. Now, in case your Bible says Zechariah, if you have like a, an NIV or some other version, it may say Zechariah, exact same word. Zacharias is Greek, Zechariah, which is Hebrew. So it's the exact same name. I'm going to begin with Zechariah's prayer. Well, here's the first thing I want you to notice under number one on your handout. Your outline. I want to focus on the names here. It's really interesting how God does things. And names were extremely important to Jews. It would identify who you were, probably would identify what your life was going to be about, identify where you, who your God was. Your name was important. As a matter of fact, sometimes in the Jewish culture, you didn't get your permanent name for years. Your name might be like well, my wife's hus husband, her father's birth certificate. It says Baby Boy Hines, right? They didn't, get, they didn't know what his name was. They named, it was Baby Boy Hines. Well, Jews, sometimes you didn't get your name for years, so they determined who you were, what you were going to be. Names were extremely important to them. Sometimes names were even changed. For example, 
Abram was a wandering nomad, Ur of the Chaldee. And God called him and said, Abram, you to go to a land that I will show you. Proceeds the story in the Bible says, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous, born again. He saved. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And uh, Jacob's name changed from Jacob to Israel. So sometimes names change based on what your life would be about. So I want you to notice as we look, start looking at Zacharias, look at these names. Number one, Zacharias. His name means our God remembers. The literal meaning of his name, if you want to write the margin of handout, is the literal of his name means this. Jehovah will remember. Jehovah will remember. You'll note, we mentioned it a moment ago, and we looked at it at great length the last couple of weeks in Malachi. God said several times, I will remember. One of the encouraging things for us as Christians, God does not forget us. How long has it been since God spoke? It's Malachi, point four hundred years. But has he forgotten? It's just no. God does not forget. Not only what he promised, he doesn't forget us. He doesn't forget what's going on. He's in control of history. He is God. So you start looking at Zechariah's prayer. And then Elizabeth's name, we're going to come back to, to all of them. I want to focus on a couple of these today. Elizabeth's name means our God is reliable. Our God is reliable. And what's interesting about her name, Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, these are the parents of John the Baptist. What's interesting about her name is that it literally means, in Hebrew, Jehovah is an oath. Jehovah is an oath. And when God would swear an oath, like a covenant vow, you knew that he would keep it. And she is also, if you'll notice in verse 5, she is also a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. A high priest in, the, in the, the Jewish culture, in their religion, the high priest had to be a descendant of Aaron. So she has a high pedigree. Not only is she a descendant of Aaron, she's married to a Levite. Her husband, Zacharias, is a priest. So she's been doubly blessed. Look at verse 6. We'll come back to Gabriel and John. Verse 6. His wife is Elizabeth, in verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Verse 7, what's the first word? But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. It will be a miracle birth. Notice verse 6, they were righteous before God and blameless. Very important, you note this. They were children of God, they were believers, they were righteous, but not perfect. Not perfect. We will see that in Zechariah's life. They were very old. Now, for a moment, culturally understand this. Drop down to verse 25 for a moment. Elizabeth is speaking. Verse 25. The Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. See that word reproach. In other words, she was mocked, looked down upon, scorned even because she could not have children. Yet her husband was a priest. He was a descendant of Aaron, but she was barren. She couldn't have children. So she was mocked by her own people. Now here's the point. God had her barren for a reason, didn't he? At a special moment in history for her. She was going to be the mother of John the Baptist. She was going to be the mother of the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would proclaim after 400 years of silence, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was going to be her boy. What a proud mama she would have been. She was. Her son was the promised one of Malachi. Jesus would say, about her son. Jesus would say of her son, greater has no man been than John the Baptist. But for all her life, at this point, and she's old now, every time she went to church, what were the women around saying about her? You know, what, what they would say, not only would they mock her barren, would say, God has judged sin in your life. God is judging by not allowing children. Jumping to conclusions, right? Jumping to conclusions. Not knowing what God was doing, just assuming that that's the way it was. And this had been going on for how long? He's old, well advanced in years and beyond childbearing years. How long is this going on? Whole life. 
since a little girl, teenager on up. You know, her husband priest, descendant of Aaron, she can't have children. Godly, but not yet blessed children. And by the way, children were a sign of the blessed God. Still are to this day. The Bible's happy to man whose quiver is full of them. But for some reason, she hadn't had them. God had a special plan. Remember, what's Zachariah's name? Look at the screen or on your handout. God, what? And remember, what's Elizabeth's name? God is an oath, reliable. He says he's going to do something. He does it. Look at verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as priest, Zacharias, before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot failed to burn incense when, it, when, he went to, into, when he went into the temple. I'll be all right. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. All right. Zacharias is a priest. Most of the priests were from Jerusalem or Jericho, the, the big towns of Judea. Zacharias, really interesting, Zacharias was from the hills of Judea. He was kind of the redneck priest. Drove a pickup, loved Duck Dynasty, very spiritual guy. He was a godly man, but he wasn't like, you know, kind of like he wasn't one anybody's going to hang out with and play racquetball with because he wasn't from town. So he was the redneck from out in sticks, but he was a priest. And no, it's really fascinating, the division. You notice there in verse 8, so talking about his division. Well, that division means that he was one of 24 of those. There was about 18,000 priests in all because they served daily. They would go to the temple. Every year you had two weeks served, a week here and a week there. You had two one-week periods of time you would serve. Now, I really want you to notice this because it's exciting. Look at verse 9. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot turned, fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. This was considered a high honor. You got to do this once, once in your life you were lucky. His lot fell. In other words, they shot dice and his name came up. Notice, you get to do this once in your lifetime. And term they would use, once one of the ones that was allowed to burn in, you were called rich because you got to go. See, the altar of incense, the temple set right in front of the veil. And the veil was the curtain. What was beyond the veil? The Holy of Holies. And only the high priest went in there only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And a regular priest like Zacharias, who wasn't of the Aaronic line and would never be high priest, he would never get any closer to the Holy of Holies. Then you see the picture? He gets to burn incense this moment time. wonder why his lot fell. Who shot the dice? I don't know. Who controlled the dice? God did. God remembered. God is liable. God is oaths. He said, I'll send a message. Yes, it's 400 years. Now it's time. That's why Galatians say Jesus born in fullness of God said, now's time. That's why Jesus said when he got ready to go to the cross, the upper room discourse, first thing it says in John 13, 1, Jesus, knowing his hour had, see, he is, he's outside time, created time for us. He knew when John the Baptist was going to be born. He knew it was Zachariah's time to burn the incense. He won the lot, won the lottery. So I, I feel my time's coming. It will fall. God's timing, God's will. Once in a lifetime, you got to burn it. That altar set right in front. As a matter of fact, the smoke of the altar of incense, one of the things it was the reason for it, so that it could not be seen by others in case God had zapped you. And he was in there for a long time. Remember, only one, two weeks out of the year, he's even there. And now his lot falls to burn the incense. Now, for a moment, you're Zachariah. Zacharias, how are you feeling this moment in time? Hey, if you're a priest, you've hit the jack. It's the highest acc accolade you can. And they can mock that we don't. I'm the man. I get to burn incense. The highest honor you could have. But he probably also had a little holy fit it right. God struck him dead. I want to make sure I do it right. I don't ever want to mess up. Now, verse 11. Look at this. This highlight of history. The whole multitude of the people, they're outside the, while the hour of incense happened twice a day. They're outside while, while the incense is being burned. You know why they're out there? Number one, it's a big moment of the day. But number two, they want to make sure that everything's cool with God, that the prayers are accepted. 
properly. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, I bet. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. And we'll see later on that this is Gabriel. Gabriel's name means our God is mighty. And the literal is the mighty one of Jehovah. And notice verse 11. You're Zacharias. Out of your whole life and your whole ministry, you're at the moment, the greatest moment of your ministry is occurring right now. You're standing before the altar, you're burning the incense, and you're, one of, you know, you kind of got this holy fear. I'm going to make sure I do it right. And now there's a, the angel Gabriel shows up. You're thinking, what? I messed up. I did something wrong. Why would he be here? But I want you to notice, because it's a recurring theme in the Christmas. Every time Gabriel shows up and speaks, he has to say what? Don't be afraid. He must have been one scary dude as an, and when he appeared as this angel. Don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer is heard. Do not be afraid, Mary. To the shepherds, what if all the angels, the shepherds, fear not. Do not be afraid. See, beauty of Christmas for us Christians, God for us has nothing to do with it. If he sends Gabriel to us, it's a good thing. Maybe, maybe he may have to be punishing us. We'll see in a moment or see he's going to have to punish Zacharias. This boy, and he's giving him this great. So when he turned and he sees him, I, I bet he was afraid. And I bet those knees were smoting together, as they would say. I love the picture. This moment, our God is mighty. Remembers, reliable. He is our strength, the mighty one of Jehovah. Do you realize the last time, if you read through the Bible, Gabriel stood before a man and spoke 600 years prior. He spoke to Daniel. You remember what he told Daniel? He laid out for Daniel, prophetic coming Messiah. Same thing he's going to do here, isn't he? Special moment. Told Daniel, here's the 70-week prophecy. Now, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Same message, Zacharias. Same message to Mary. You'll have a child. Your child will be Savior. Even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a child. The coming of the Messiah, Daniel. The coming of the one who would declare the Messiah, Zacharias. The coming of the Savior, Messiah. I, Gabriel, to tell you, do not be afraid, the godly people. After 400 years of silence, imagine now you're Zacharias again. After 400 years of not hearing from God, who's God speak to? You. What an honor. What an incredible privilege. You realize in our lives today that God speaks to us every single time you read this book. God is talking to you. You are his child. You are his tool through which he wants to work. Let people know that he's real. The God who's there. The God who cares. The God who gave his son. The God who initiated Christ by the Christ. So he says to Zacharias, don't be afraid. I love the next statement. What's the next thing he says? Verse 13. What's he say? Your prayer is what? Now, if you're Zacharias, the angel Gabriel standing there, you're burning the altar of incense. What's, what are you thinking? Which one are you talking about? I pray a lot of prayers. Which one are you talking about? Your prayer is heard. And what does he tell him? You're going to have a son. Look at verse 14. The end of 13. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Joy to the world. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. It's all about John the Baptist. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He is the answer to the prophecy of Malachi and of Isaiah. Now, his name is going to be John. My son's name, John. Andrew, what does John mean? John means gift of God. Sometimes I named our son, but he is. I love this picture. It says, Zacharias, your prayer has been answered. Hey, old man, you're going to have a son. Your wife, far beyond childbearing her whole life, is going to bear this. He answered prophetic promise. It's the one Malachi tells the message. Pair, way of the, the only higher honor a woman could have had with the birth of them must be her cousin. Their family reunions. My, my son is John the Baptist. He's Jesus, come on. Our God is gracious. See this? Please don't miss this. 
God gives this incredible gift to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Notice how he puts the whole world is going to receive the Messiah. The gift of God. Christmas is about gifts. Specifically, it's about the gift of grace. The gift of grace. He will be great. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. He's going to be unique. John the Baptist is the bridge from the old covenant to the new. The gift of grace. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop there today. I want to share something with you. And we're going to finish this up next week looking at Christmas. I hope you understand this idea of joy to the world, how special it is what we share as Christians. That's really what I wanted to accomplish with this, looking at the birth of John the Baptist, is understanding what a great moment it was for Zacharias and for Elizabeth, and to see that their son, what he was going to do. Do you realize that you have the exact same privilege today, that we get to go out and share what joy to the world really means, that no matter what happened, Jesus still came, he still died, he saved me, he saved us, we are his church, declare to the world he is the Christ, he is the reason we have a Christmas, we can have joy. Years ago, there was a lady, a missionary went to China, Christian missionary went to China, she went into this little village, it was not very big, and bandits had just hit that village, destroyed almost everything in there. And she took one of the uh, natives there who was a Christian, took the missionary to his home. And he was upset and distraught. He said, look, they burnt and destroyed everything. They even burnt my Bible and our hymn book. We don't have anything. And there was one scrap of paper laying there that had survived, survived fire. And the missionary picked, bent over and picked up one scrap of paper, survived, survived fire. She looked at it and said, joy to the Lord has come. That's all that survived the fire out of the hymn in the Bible. So they went down, they got the Christians together, and they went to the little chapel. What couldn't believe, smiled, the joy of the hearts of them, because they had joy in the world. And everything they had burnt down, but they had joy. That's, what we, that's why Christmas is special. It's also why July is special. Hot as it is in August, it's special. Lord, we do thank you that you loved us enough to send the son. The child was born. He gave us a gift. Lord, I do pray as we share gifts as Christians, we'd encourage not just our children and others that we come in contact with, but everybody that we work with, that we get an opportunity to be nice to, that how much we love them because Jesus loved us first. Lord, use us to share the gospel. Use us to live out what we believe as genuine, that we can share genuine joy to the world because Jesus, we pray in his name. If you're not a believer, this is the time of year, an incredible time, say, Jesus, you came for me. It's like that for rememberment. He'll save you. If you are a Christian, wake up every day. Let me share. If you stand as we sing and you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down for